Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Impossible Gear. If you're looking to push your limits and do something on your impossible list, head on over to impossiblegear.com today to get your impossible shirt. They look awesome, they feel great, and wearing one just might give you the sudden urge to go on a treasure hunt. You're going to understand that reference later on in the episode. I promise, okay? So if you're looking to get comfortable while being uncomfortable, there's no better way to do it than in some Impossible Gear. Check it out at impossiblegear.com and support the show. If you're an athlete, you're going to also want to check out movewellapp.com. If you're looking to get stronger, lift harder, run faster, or just hurt less in general, check out app. One of my favorite phrases for training is there's no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. And app gives you simple, easy-to-follow recovery and mobility routines to help you do just that. I actually built this for myself when I got hurt, and uh, it helped me all the way through rehab. So it's free to download for your iPhone and iPad. So check it out at movewellapp.com. All right, today on the show, I've got Steve Tidball. He's the co-founder of one of the coolest adventure apparel companies on the planet. The company is Volleback. That's V-O-L-L-E-B-A-K. I don't know what language it's from, but Steve told me it means all out, which is what their company is all about. And they make some of the most ridiculous, incredible adventure gear uh, around the planet. They make everything from re- relaxation hoodies, which are sort of portable float tanks, for your body, to 100-year-old hoodies that will outlast you, to light-up jackets that will glow in the night and are powered by the sun. They make insane stuff, guys. It's really crazy. I found them about a couple years ago when they were first getting started, and it's been awesome to see them grow. I talked to Steve about his ultramarathon background, how he got the endurance sports bug, and all sorts of other stuff. We go into his stories. We talk about the company, how they got started, how they even come up with some of these crazy ideas, and how you can use them in your adventures around the world too. So check it out. I'm really pumped about today's podcast. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a long time, and it's finally fun to sit down with him and do this one-on-one. So without further ado, check out my interview with Steve Tidball. All right, guys. So today I've got Steve Tidball from Volaback.com. Volaback is maybe the most adventurous sports and adventure wear company I've ever come across. Uh, they make all sorts of ridiculously interesting clothing like relaxation hook, relaxation hooky, hoodies, not hook. Wow. Relaxation ho- hoodies, uh, indestructible 100 year hoodies, uh, glow in the dark, uh, windbreakers, uh, and all sorts of other really cool stuff. Uh, so they've been releasing a new piece of apparel every single month in 2018. And I've known about these guys for over two years and been kind of bugging Steve to get on a podcast with me. And we're finally making it happen. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you for a nice introduction. That was very cool. So I, I I was trying to go through all the different types of apparel that you guys have, and I realized, you know, when I first found out about you guys, you guys had the uh, Baker Miller uh, pink hoodie, uh, the relaxation hoodie, where you basically zip it all the way up to your face and uh, you can actually relax. But since then, you've come out with tons and tons of more stuff, almost at a like a breakneck speed pace. Um, 
I, I, I want to jump into all the different stuff that you guys have, but maybe we can go into your background a little bit. Um, you know, how you got into adventure, how you got into uh, apparel stuff, and then we can jump into Volleback, uh, the types of apparel you guys have, uh, the crazy type of uh, treasure hunt you guys have going on, and then a bunch of other stuff as we, uh, as we keep talking. I'll be happy to chat about any of those. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, was interesting to me was, you know, your background, both as, you know, not just a, um, apparel company, but you talk a lot about, and we were just talking about this, you know, right before the call, um, about your, um, you know, own needs, necessities, and, you know, where you like to spend all of your time and, you know, your background as an adventure runner. So you want to kind of share a little bit how you got into um, ultra running, adventure sports, and, and, how you kind of got into this whole world where you eventually started making gear for everyone. Yes, uh, that'd be brilliant. So I think one of the really important things uh, to know is that I run the brand with my twin brother. Um, so we're both 39 now and uh, we're based in the UK and we grew up in, I, I don't know what the US equivalent might be, but we grew up in one of the more boring spots of the world. Like imagine like all the houses are brown, everyone owns the same car. <laughs> Like everyone like is twitching the curtains to see what their neighbors are doing. And I, I, so, so, so like Kansas, Kansas I, or Nebraska. I don't know. So it's basically, it's basically the middle of the country in England. And I, I hope nobody in Kansas or Nebraska gets mad at me now. <laughs> well, in the middle of the country in England, there are no waves. There are no mountains. There's kind of just basically, there's no fun shit going on. And so you grow up in this very kind of like, it's a protected, like, you know, it's a nice environment, like no one's going to kill you. Um, but it's just intensely boring. And um, we grew up playing these incredibly normal sports. Like you do, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have the same in the US, but it, it's called cross country in England, which basically means yep. you run through a muddy field <laughs> and you run through lots of streams and someone might spike your foot and you're always out of breath and it's always horrible. And then you might play football and it's kind of always raining. And I, I loved sports as a kid and I, we, did, we did absolutely loads of it. I mean, we were just outside all the time. But with what I describe as really, really average sports, because of where we grew up. So we were, you know, you're the product of your environment and our environment was pretty boring, but I got an adrenaline kick out of sports. So I did as much of it as I could, but they, they were just so conventional. And then um, it, even like when we went into our twenties, when we went into university, we still hadn't discovered adventure sport at this point. And um, so what happened is these, not only were these sports boring, but I actually broke my back doing them when I was 18 and oh, wow. before I'd even discovered all the stuff I do now, which is like ultra running, surfing, climbing, um, I was sat down by doctors in this very boring place and told, okay, you're, you're definitely going to walk again, but that's about the limits of what you're going to do. So pick a nice job at a, in a seat and do that because that's about it. And, um, and this was at uh, 18 and it took me a long time to learn to run again. I didn't really run again for about eight years. Um, and I, how did you break your back? Um, it, it was not like, um, it wasn't one of these like fancy Bear Grylls stories where your parachute doesn't open and sort of falls 16,000 feet. It was, well, it, it, in testament to just how boring the place was where I grew up, I actually, um, do it, um, did it playing cricket. And so I had, I had like a, a complicated fracture of L5, which is the, which is the bit of your spine just above your ass. So mm -hmm. There's a bit to break. It's not much fun because it like, it controls quite a lot of stuff. Uh, it's not as bad as your neck, obviously, where, you know, you, the risks are far higher, but it's just, it's just hugely, hugely painful. And I took about a year to recover from that. And then was in a car accident as soon as I did. And then oh, wow. like, okay, this is it now, right? Just sit down. 
everything's going to be okay, but just don't try and do sport again. So there's a lot of like, um, you'll know with injuries, like any ultra runner will know with injuries, it's like, it's a complicated return. You've got to get, you know, strength, movement, all kinds of stuff back. So it's a bit, it was a basically, that was like a, a six year, seven year journey to learn to run again. I had operations. I had like, if you, if anyone's ever had plantar fasciitis, which is like a, a really, it's just basically really painful heels. I mean, eventually mm-hmm. plantar fascia cuts as I could run again. Um, so I went through some stuff there that, that should have made running quite tricky, but I don't know. Um, I really, really wanted to run again. And in discovering that I really wanted to run again, I found a whole bunch of different sports where I was like, okay, these are, these are actually way more fun. Um, and so like the first kind of like adventure stuff we got into, although it's still actually a little bit duller, is triathlon. And so like yep. as soon as I could run again, we went to became triathletes. And that was, that was really good fun. And we, we won a bunch of races there in the UK, not like, you know, professional or anything, but just like, you know, nice amateur events. Mm-hmm. And um, then we got, um, we got picked up to do the, what were called at the time the three hardest ultra marathons in the world. Now, I don't, I don't know if they are. They're certainly very, very hard. But, I, you know, you'd have very fierce debates about what the three hardest yeah are um and so the ones we were picked up we it was just by like a british brand and a magazine men's fitness i don't know if you have that in the us yep. um, we were basically picked to run run these ultra marathons uh but they were they were they were insanely back to back so like you was so the first one was the namibian ultra um mm-hmm. 78 miles across the namib desert and then the next the next race like straight after that was um one across the amazon which is a seven day ultra marathon and then, okay. and then straight up after that was the uh, UTMB, which is the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, oh. uh, which is, yeah, hard. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's definitely up there. That's def- definitely the ones. Yeah. So all of them, all of them have their own, you know, whether it's heat, whether it's distance, whether it's sort of like uh, altitude gain, they're all pretty, pretty severe. And um, we had like, oh, I can't even remember, it was like two months recovery in between each of them. So like, and we were, we were really, really new to ultramarathons. So like, I mean, the longest I'd run before we attempted the Namib Ultra was, I don't know, I think I'd gone on a 20-mile training run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just assumed it'll be okay. We'll be able to do this. Figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out while we're in the middle of the run. Because I think that's kind of like our approach to much of stuff, which is like, you know, when I'm in the middle of it, then I'll work out if I can do it or not. You don't really judge it before because, you know, you're, you might you might have a bias one way or the other, but it doesn't mean it's true. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think, you know, the what really happened during that Namib Ultra is uh, basically we found out who we were. And I think up until that point, I hadn't really had an amazing idea of who I was or what I was truly into. So I was in my late twenties at this point. And, you know, basically I'd gone in like all races I'd gone in and gone, well, obviously I'm going to win. <laughs> like there's no, there's no rationale for like yeah. why I would think I was going to win, but you know, it's just the sort of like personality type I am. I kind of just assume victory. And then if I, if I lose, well, I lose, but I kind of like go in a certain way. And, um, okay. So what re- what happened there was 12 miles in, um, I was pulled out of the race cause it was, uh, I, I ended up finishing the race, but I was pulled at this point cause my heating had gone wrong and I, I I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the, the terms wrong, but essentially I was so hot that my body thought it was incredibly cold. And so I'd gone uh. to the point where I was covered in goosebumps. My teeth were chattering and I was shaking with cold, but it was mm, 42, 43 degrees. So just like so insanely hot. And um, yes, yeah, so it had all gone quite wrong. 
And I remember I was like weaving really badly and I was racing with my twin brother and our other teammates. And I was just weaving from side to side, like my vision had gone. Every, everything was going really funny. And uh, <laughs> I was just like, well, this is really, really strange. Yeah. Our teammate was ex-military, like special forces kind of guy. And um, uh, he, he just said, don't tell them anything. Don't tell them race organize anything. Tell them you're fine. <laughs> and I was like, I had this really strong sense, perhaps don't tell them I'm fine because something still feels quite wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pulled, I pulled her at the checkpoint, explained my symptoms to them. And we like, this is quite a serious race. Like we'd had days of, you know, the, the two previous days we've been lectured on like, you know, um, all the things he can do to you. And, you know, you know, if you're at this stage, you have about this long until you die. And I, I remembered enough of them to think, okay, well, I need to tell these guys. And, um, so yeah, I just basically got pulled, pulled out, um, stuck in a Land Rover, uh, you know, huge amounts of water poured all over me and stuff mm-hmm. stuck in a Land Rover that was air conditioned for six hours where I basically, it was a self-sufficiency race. You had to take all of your own food and, mm-hmm. So basically, in that six hours in the Land Rover, I ate all the food I had <laughs> and drank an absolute shit ton of water. And then, and then what happened during the day is it's like I was obviously watching the race go by, and it, there's, there's some world champions in there, some really like proper proper people in there. Um, but yeah, everyone, everyone just looked like they were. I mean, it's probably a bit slip to say because it's probably it's not true, but everyone looked like they their faces they looked like they were going through a war zone. Like I've never seen faces like this of like, so I've never been to war or anything, but like just the suffering was like kind of insane to see. And it was just the, just watching like people voluntarily putting themselves through that was kind of like crazy to see. And anyway, yep. my brother rolled into like, uh, one of the checkpoints where there were still two marathons to go. And it was sort of drawing towards evening. Cause like people had taken like, I mean, world-class runners had taken, shit i don't know six seven hours to run the first marathon because it was mm-hmm. just, it was pretty insane and um he pulled into that checkpoint and uh, i remember i chatted to the race organizer and he he was basically thinking like he he was done and i remember saying to the race organizer is there any way you'd let me back in if i could sort of like see him through the last two marathons and the guy the guy really kindly i'm now friends with the guy he's a really awesome amazing dude and um he said yeah sure i mean we'll keep an eye on you but yeah go for it and because uh, it was, I can't remember what time it was. It was sort of almost early evening at this point. And so then I ran the the last two two marathons of the ultra with my brother, and um, we just had a fucking amazing time. I mean, I think the the best moment was we had this. Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but we basically had the same hallucination at the same time. <laughs> so I, I, I'm yet to chat to a doctor about it to say what's going on here, but I su- presume it's the power of suggestiveness. Mm-hmm. you're really really tired but basically we were running together and you were running through the night and um he was looking at my face and he's like oh shit your face is turning into dad's face now it's turning into mom's face now it's turning into like my girlfriend's face and i was like oh that's weird and i looked at him and then his face started doing the same thing as well <laughs> running running through the night having like tripping and um i think the other really amazing thing in Namibia is like how long farts hang in the air because it's like there's no wind and so <laughs> basically you'd, have, you'd have a dude fart five miles in front of you and then you'd run through it <laughs> like literally half an hour later and it was like it was these really surreal things so, so it was like i think the thing that was really interesting about it is not only kind of like finding out where your limits are but having these experiences where you go there's just almost no no way on earth to experience these things unless you are, you know, trying to run a very long distance in the middle of a desert. And um, 
and, and yeah, so more more shit went wrong. Obviously, so we were we were drawing towards the end, and it's like oh, you know what it's like at the end of ultras; they just never end, and like two months <laughs> like twenty. And it's like, and you just kind of assume everyone's lying to you and you just have to quadruple any distance everyone, anyone ever tells you. <laughs> and we weren't, we, we were, we thought we were near the end. And, um, and, um, my brother pulled over to the roadside to have a piss and piss this, this pure stream of blood, which is like, oh, really, God. Really oh. Amazing to watch. And the doc, the doctors are making the, the race sound like there were doctors everywhere. There really weren't. But anyway, a doctor happened to be coming past us on a quad bike because we were near the end. And he was like, oh, I'm pissing blood. Is that a problem? And she's like, no, I think it's just, you know, your heel's breaking down. You're just pissing the blood out. It's okay. Here's a couple of ibuprofen. So like a couple of, a couple of tablets, get yourself. <laughs> and um, I, I guess, I guess what, I, what we really loved about, I mean, you know, lots of it was very painful at the time, um, but I, I never pushed myself remotely that hard before. I'd never gone to like, or someone going, okay, I think, you know, you have to stop now. Otherwise, you know, you'll be dead in half an hour. I'd, I'd, I'd never got to those points before. So I found that kind of really fascinating. And, and, that, uh, and basically, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was about 29, something like that. I, I've been a different person ever since then because you just go, okay, if I've got some water, you know, I've got a, you know, a toilet to shit in. I've got some yeah. clothes to wear. You go, life's good. Life is good. <laughs> there's no kind of like, you know, there's no snakes trying to get me. I, one, of our, one, of, one of the guys we were racing with got um, tracked by jackals for a couple of hours during the night or whatever. <laughs> dogs because they could like, we always said it's because they could smell death on him yeah <laughs> like, wow so yeah i think that was like of all the races i've ever done that was the most formative by a mile because it went first moment there you go that's who i am that's awesome one of the things that i love i i, I tell people i hate i hate running like I, I don't like running. It's not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. Uh, but I enjoy what running gets me and I enjoy the experiences. Like the interesting thing about ultra running to me is when you end up on the top of a mountain somewhere, you know, like I, I, I did a, a race in Switzerland and you get to the top of the mountain and you realize it, the only way you're coming home is on your own two feet. Like there's no, <laughs> nobody's coming to get you. Yeah, like you, you have to figure this out on your own. And there's something about that and realizing like, you know, you, you said, you know, you're like, oh, 30 minutes from death. And then, you know, that's that's pretty far. You pushed yourself pretty far. And then, you know, after a few hours, you cool down and you still ran two extra marathons yeah. after that. And when you realize how far you could push yourself, it's just like, OK, this is, you know, you look at the world uh, differently. I, I, I totally agree because people always talk about like the wall and the marathon and um I, I think what was really, and it really funny, obviously I'd never even run a marathon before I ran this first ultra, uh, mm -hmm. probably pretty stupid, but I, we, we just kind of felt like jumping in and, um, people always talk about the wall and the marathon. And I, so I'd, I'd obviously heard of it. My dad was a very good marathon runner and, um, but I'd, I'd never been through it. I'd never gone to that point where it's like, okay, like I'm completely depleted now. But then obviously during the Namibian one, oh geez, we must've been through maybe five or six where we're like, okay, we absolutely cannot go any hard, you know, cannot go on any longer, can't go any harder. And, you know, we reduced to like a point. So I think at like 4 a.m., we were literally just shuffling in dirt. I mean, <laughs> no, no glamour. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just pretty horrible. And then I remember saying to my brother, like, one of the things like, we love is like dawn running. Like, it's one of my favorite things. Mm. Like, get up with the sun and run. And that's when, that's when I truly love running, like at the, the very, very start of the day when the sun's coming up. Uh, especially like if you're by the sea and I, I remember saying to Nick like like 
we could almost you could almost smell the salt in the air because at like 4am we probably weren't too far away from the finish you like you were, you were probably 30 miles close enough to smell the sea and I, I kept saying to him like it's okay like when the when the sun comes up and like we'll be able to smell you know smell the sea salt in the air and we'll be close to the coast we'll be able to run again and we we're like okay this is just ridiculous who are we kidding like we're, yeah. we're walking this thing in and basically like the first glimpse of the sun and we just started running like i, I don't think i've ever run faster and we were probably absolutely bombing it for i don't know an hour hour and a half and this was at a point where like two hours earlier we were just like i mean jesus like old men would have walked past us laughing <laughs> and suddenly you're sprinting again and so i think it was what's what what's really interesting exactly like what you're saying is like the very um, illusory nature of I can't go any further or I can't go any harder. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's just a lie. Your body's telling you a lie. And I think, and it's, you know, it's doing it to try and protect you. But I think that was a really interesting revelation and not something I'd seen before. And I think, yeah, honestly, what that, what happened is like my sport was transformed after that, like how hard I worked was transformed after that because you go, well, tiredness might not actually be true. And as soon as you go, tiredness isn't true, it's like, oh, well, I can go way harder then. And, uh, and then, yeah, so I, I think a lot, a lot changed after that. The, uh, it's funny in those races, when you mentioned people's faces, it's like the, th- it's, I know what you meant when you said it's like war. It's, it's, it's not the same, but it's, uh, it's that thousand yard stare where someone's there, but they're not really there. Like, <laughs> you know, like they kind of like sunk into their head a little bit and you can kind of tell they're just kind of, try to not focus on what's happening because they're just trying to get through things. And when you're in those races, you know, 40, 60, whatever miles in, like at some point, the, the things that you're grabbing onto to keep you going are, you know, the, the, the sun was like a really practical one for you. I've had stuff where it's like, uh, like, you know, like, like a tree or, you know, like you, 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 you make up stuff basically to keep you going. (laughs) I'll do stuff where I'm running and I do math in my head and I try to trick myself to like, Hey, you know, there's only three more miles until you only have a half marathon left until you only have another marathon left. And you're like, that's actually, that's really far still. Like that's a long way. And you're just constantly trying to trick yourself to keep going, uh, because your body and your mind keep trying to, you know, Hey, you should go home. You're you're 60 miles in. <laughs> That's enough. And you're like, no, I got 30 miles left to go. I don't know if you've ever raced the um, UTMB, so the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. But when my brother was racing it, um, so this is like I don't know how many years ago, a few now. Um, and obviously, one of the things they do because it's it, uh, a bunch of it is in France, and obviously they they do pretty amazing food. Is they have the most amazing food tents in the world. Like literally anything you could ever fantasize about at those checkpoints is in those food tents. It's just everything there. It's just absolutely nuts. And um, one of the things that kept him going during part of the race was like the orange juice because it was like freshly squeezed orange juice. <laughs> and, um, and basically he's absolutely fantasized. I wasn't running this one with him, unfortunately. So I, I, he's only told me this sort of like uh, firsthand, but he's basically fantasizing about this orange juice. And he, he's a long way in at this point. I think they're like 24 hours in. And um, he suddenly saw the guy in front of him had 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 got that orange juice and had it in a bottle. So he'd been smart enough to like pour it in instead of his water. And the thing that went through my brother's head is, is it okay to stone this guy to death for his? <laughs> like, and it's like, well, what I think I, what I think I love is like the the just the sheer insanity of the thoughts that go through your head just because like you're quite tired. 
And I think I think I think that's sort of like one of the things that struck us that you can it's not even like you can live a week in a day, but you can live like a year or ten years in a day and just the 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 strength of the emotions, the madness of the feelings. And like, so you could just like stuff that gets in your head that like during a normal day, it's just like, it you just, it would never be in your head. You'd never walk past the guy normally and think he's got orange juice. Maybe I kill him. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So <laughs> I think that's one of the things that kind of like, because obviously, you know, everyone's got the same level of pain. Yep. Um, so it's, it's kind of, you're not doing it for the, yeah, the freedom of running. And isn't this wonderful? You're doing it for the kind of like, uh, I want to experience this other side of life where, like stuff's just way more intense. And I think that's probably what we probably became addicted to because I kind of moved out on from ultra marathons. Like I, I, I couldn't race the UTMB because I'd been doing a lot of, after the Namibian ultra, I really got into barefoot running and then okay. I got in way too quickly. And I've, I've definitely like, it, it's my thing now, but at the time I just went too long, too hard, too fast and um, fractured a few toes. And so as a result of that, couldn't race the UTMB because um, I'd done the, the third and fourth on my right foot. Um, but I really regretted that. Uh, and then, but after after that, I moved into like um, I like I really love adventure racing. Like that's the thing I moved okay. towards. Less less kind of like just the, the repetitiveness of oh, I'm just going to run for like two days now. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to like climb onto a bike or a kayak occasionally. <laughs> So, so when you're talking adventure races, like what, like, so you did, you did a couple of these ultras, uh, you know, you did those three in a row, um, did a few other ones. And then, uh, you said adventures, like for, for people who aren't familiar with adventure racing, what, what specifically is different about adventure racing versus ultra running? Uh, like a couple of, a couple of my favorites, um, you can almost think about them like, uh, an off-road, um, like Ironman is the way I like to think about Mm. them. Um, I think what's really lovely. So, for instance, like uh, I, I kind of really like stuff that lasts about eight and twenty-four hours. Like after after I did the ultras, I found that that's kind of my thing. I kind of I kind of felt deprivation was interesting to do, but like once you've done it a few times, I like <laughs> what I actually like is being outside for a really long time, um, but not so crazily long that you think you're going to die. So I really got into adventure. So you might like um you'll have like coast to coast here in the uk so there's like a really beautiful one in devon which is like on our south coast it's like very pretty very english and you'll during the day you might ride 120 miles you'll probably run 30 ish you'll kayak a bit and i uh, about the, the like those particular races they might break it up really nicely so like the first run is eight miles and then you get to ride 50 and then you run another 15. And, and so I think what I really love about those things is, um, well, I won't, I won't lie they're, they're easier on your body. <laughs> like mm-hmm. is you can, you can, I think the thing I always struggled with with ultras is I, I just found I got progressively slower apart from uh... occasional bursts. And so they were quite sort of like, they can be like quite frustrating in a way. Cause it's like, I go into them feeling I'm a good runner. And then like, well, I am a good runner up until about 30 miles. And then I slow down quite dramatically. It's like, over the first 30, I'm really pretty quick. And then over the second 30, I'm really, really very slow. Um, I just, I think, I think because of like the injuries I've, I've had, I'd kind of like feel quite old quite quickly. Whereas mm-hmm. with, with the adventure racing, what I love about it is like, just as you're getting tired of the run or suddenly you're on a bike for like the next four hours and then you're on a kayak for two hours and then you're running for two hours and then you're on a bike for five hours. And I think that just like, for, for me, it keeps me miles more awake and focused. Mm. Whereas I think like some of the long ultras, you can just feel like it's like you're drifting asleep. Yep. Your faculties are shutting down, whereas you can't let them shut down if you're on a bike because you will crash at high speed. 
uh, <laughs> or if you're kayaking, you know, you you'll just roll over and drown. And so I think um, that those I found like much more um, enlivening. Yep. You come out to the end of it, and it's like, oh, dude, I feel pumped. Like I could go again. And you obviously you couldn't go again, but you feel like you can. Whereas in the vultures, I kind of like you know drag myself to a toilet instead stay on there for about two hours which is kind of like it's life affirming a year later but at the time it's just like oh <laughs> this is horrible I, I remember when uh i i when i first started running i actually tricked myself into running by getting into triathlons kind of like you did because oh, uh, i was like oh this is going to be interesting you know like i wasn't necessarily a, a fe- great swimmer uh, a great cyclist a great runner but i was like you know, I, at least I'm going to be like, keep myself interested throughout this entire thing. Because I was like, at, at that point, I'd never even run a 5k. And so the idea of running a marathon to me was like, okay, you're just gonna be out there for like, you know, three plus hours and just, you know, just going at it for a long time. Like that, that sounds way too long. But with a, you know, with the triathlon, at least you're switching it up all the time. <laughs> and there's something to that where, you know, you can be tired, but like, the fact that you're going into a new <laughs> discipline or you're, you're jumping on a bike or you're, you know, jumping in the water, or, you know, running, uh, instead it gives you a little bit, uh, you know, it, when you, when you're talking about, you know, in an ultra, you're looking for something to hold on to kind of pull you through like, okay, as soon as, you know, dawn comes, the sun comes up, then, you know, you're going to get another boost out of that. You kind of get those artificially in those uh, adventure races or triathlons where you're switching sports. You're like, hey, I just got to get to the end of, yeah. you know, this run and then I can do something different at least. Yeah, t- it totally chunks it for you. So there's a, there's a British triathlete called Alistair Brownlee who talks a lot about this. And he's, he's like, you know, he's won two gold medals, so he's pretty good. Um, and um, uh, I, in the job I used to have, I used to, I used to be in advertising and I used to work for Adidas. And so we got to hang out with a lot of athletes, which was very cool. And you got sort of insights that you might not otherwise get. And he, he always talks about the power of, you know, chunking stuff up and he does it to such a micro level. He was saying like, he will literally do it. This is like, even when he's like, you know, racing for like an Olympics or whatever, he will break it up lamppost to lamppost, street sign to street. Mm -hmm. There's so micro on the breaking ups. Um, which I always found a really fascinating concept. And I, so I totally agree, like triathlon does that for you, adventure racing does that for you, because yeah, there's a bunch of artificial things to aim for. Whereas when, you, when you're, I, I agree, when your brain is left to make them up, it can make some really strange stuff up, <laughs> which isn't necessarily, and, it, and I think it also pegs it on distance as well, which is really like dangerous. It goes, you know, just 10 miles. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's not a normal 10 miles, is it? Because like a normal 10 miles, it might be done in an hour, whereas in an ultra, I mean, depending on the train, that could be three hours away. <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah, I totally agree. You can end up in quite um, depressing positions accidentally if you pick the wrong uh, if you pick the wrong thing to aim for. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so with the with the adventure races that you're doing, is it is it running, biking, kayaking? Um, I know you've talked about like kite surfing and some of this other stuff. I assume you can't really string those into a race sort of format, but, uh, I know you guys like to do crazy stuff. So I'm always curious on, on, on how you manage to put them together. Well, we haven't as yet. No. So, so at the moment I've only raced other people's formats. So yeah, the adventure racing I've taken part in has been predominantly, um, yeah, biking, um, running, kayaking, just because, like I've got two small children now and so does my brother. So we tend to do most of our racing in the UK as opposed to internationally now. 
Um, and so the, the UK is quite like formula. Um, I'm definitely interested in creating, whether it's Volaback or some somewhere else, like creating some kind of format that's more interesting. Because I think there's definitely an appetite for it. Like if you look at the explosion of Iron Man recently, like people are looking for stuff that's insane and extreme and long. And I think there's so many cool sports you could rope into that. Kite surfing might might be challenging. Although <laughs> it depends where you are. Um, I think I think the I think long distance races have not been explored creatively yet. I think mm. I think there's a huge and I, I, I don't have an answer and I'm thinking out loud as we chat about it. Um, but you know, it's not so long ago that Iron Man was invented. And yep. just some dudes sitting around going, "Well, I think I'm tougher and I'm a runner. <laughs> I think I'm tougher and I'm a swimmer." Um, I think there's definitely some formats that can be thought of that could be pretty nuts. Well, the I did a I did a race in Finland uh, in Rovaniemi, and it was a they have three different uh, stages or whatever. They've got like a skiing one, like a cross country ski. They've got a fat bike, and they've got a running one, and they've got a bunch of different distances. And I did a I think the one I did was like 66 kilometers, uh, and it was all self supported. And I ran out of water after the first 10K and had to like resort to eating snow and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and to like to this day, like it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the farthest race that I did, but I I always refer to it as more of an expedition than a race. Like it, it, it didn't necessarily seem like a race as much of a survival experiment. And uh, <laughs> just as as cold as it got, as like um, I got lost a couple different times because the markings weren't that great. And uh, you know, in the, in the middle of it, it sucked, but like looking back on it, like that was one of my favorite races that I've ever done. I'm like, it would be really, really like those like long format, uh, you know, it wasn't navigation, but there's like a little bit of navigation involved, mm-hmm. um, you know, self-supported, you know, interesting formatted races. Like, I think there's something there too. And it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, you know, you'd like to, <laughs> You'd like to go fast and you'd like to win this thing, but also you want to finish and you also, uh, uh, surviving is an important part. And hopefully you, uh, you, you figure out how to do that in the race. And, um, I, that's still one of my, like, it, it, it was kind of this random race that I found. I was like, okay, there's, you know, a few hundred people in Northern Finland that are doing this thing. I guess I'll, and it, and it works out in the schedule. I guess I'll do it. And, uh, it's still like one of my favorite, uh, just visual memories that I've got from it. I think so. I think psychologically, um, self-supported races are quite different, and I think it's a really, it's, it's a really, um, it's a really different challenge um, because I think you just approach it in a different way. So, I'm articulating it really badly, but yeah, I feel really differently about races where it's like, right, you have to have all your shit at the start yeah. together. And and whatever you whatever you have, that's it. And I think there's a kind of um, it's not like it's not like that. If you have support, it's weak um, because like, there's, there's loads of races where you simply have to. You could you couldn't finish like you know racing through Death Valley. You're never going to do that like uns, unsupported. Um, but I think the self-supporting ones are really interesting. Like it's that kind of it's almost a hunter gatherer thing. Like you know everything I need, I've got on my back. And if mm-hmm. I don't, well, I've screwed it up. And so I think there's a kind of like um, yeah. Like, you know, have, have I bought the right stuff? Have I done this smartly? And I think that's kind of like it adds a different dimension. You know, am I going to... There's, like, there's a mental weight to it. Like, there's a... Like, just the fact that you're like, this is just me out here. Like, there's nobody else. There's nobody... There's no There's no rest stop coming up that where I can, you know, refuel or whatever. It's like, yeah. it's just me. 
And so how, how did you manage to run out of water so early? Uh, so, uh, so I had a water bladder that I was, I was bringing with me. And um, as I was going to the start, starting line, um, it exploded and I didn't have a backup. And so I had a couple water bottles um, like that I was going to bring as like additional backups. And those ended up being my primary ones. And so it was just, um, just, really bad luck on my part i I should have had a second bladder on me and i didn't and then um i was like okay well i'll just you know i'll figure it out and i i thought there was water at the first 10k mark and the way that it worked is when you went out you hit the 10k mark and then you did a loop and on the way back you could hit that same one 10k before the end of the race and so i was like okay well maybe i'll just be able to like you know, make it last in between all that. And, uh, spoiler alert, didn't work out for me and ended up, (laughs) ended up, uh, basically eating snow. And then there were checkpoints that you had hit. Um, and each checkpoint had, uh, uh, a fire. Um, and so at some point I was able to melt snow down, um, over the fire and then pour it into my water bottle, but it was so cold that (laughs) within a mile, uh, uh, and a half or so, of pouring that, you know, water, the melted snow, uh, water into my, my water bottle, it had frozen. And so I was just like, okay, everything that's going wrong here, (laughs) everything that can go wrong is going wrong. So, uh, it was one of those ones where you're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm got You know, you put on that thousand yard stare, you, you just kind of detach yourself from the entire situation. You're like, you know what, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stop. And, uh, about a mile before I actually got to the um, uh, to the finish line, and they they moved the finish line indoors. Uh, they started it outdoors, and they moved it indoors at the um inside like a hotel somewhere in Finland because it got so cold that they're like, we're not we're not staying out here. You have to come come over to the hotel to get you know uh your final your final time. Um, and I come in, and like my beard's like all frosty. Uh, it actually was like a pretty cool snow beard. Um, but I just remember coming in the last mile and it was in February in Finland and like the last mile, uh, the Northern lights picked up and we, we had thought they were going to be there for like the the previous four days. They hadn't been coming out and it came out like the last mile and I was like, okay, that's the, you know, it's kind of like the dawn coming up for you guys where it's like you pick on that and you're like, okay, I'm all of a sudden got a lot more energy. I don't know where that came from, but, uh, it's like, you know, (laughs) This sucked, but it wasn't, you know, it, it's not that bad. It's going to make for a good story. So, and it just did. I, th- I think yeah. it's brilliant. I think it's like, uh, I've always thought if you're out in nature long enough, like it will always reward you. Yep. It, it doesn't just, well, as, as, unless you, yeah, just, I was <laughs> <Unless you're laughs> thinking actually it might just be complete shit. But I'm um, like, I've always, I've always found like if you, if you race for long enough, something will always happen where you go, I've, there's just an abiding memory of nature did this and it was amazing. I remember another race we were, um, yeah, we've been running for a very, very long time, and we're on the south coast of England, and we've run out of water and food. And so you you reach that stage where you kind of like you you kind of you don't even care that you've run out of water and food. You're just so tired. And I remember we said, um, "Let's just lie down in a field for a bit." <laughs> and we were on the field, and we we're right right next to the sea, and um, and there was like um, the the grasses were blowing, and it was super beautiful. It was like dusk was so like the, you probably had about half an hour of sun left. So it was just super beautiful. 
Um, and then these owl, it was basically these owls started singing to us. <laughs> and it's like, I still don't know if the owls were real or not, but they felt very real. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this makes it worth it. We're like lying in the grass, tripping, listening to owls singing or whatever they do. And um, yeah, it, 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 you always kind of find like there's a moment where you go, okay, this was all worth it then because I've seen this thing that like, you know, if I was just inside working really hard or whatever, I would never have, you know, been part of that moment. So yeah, like your Northern Lights thing, I think you you are rewarded. Who who needs drugs when you can just run fifty miles and then uh, have some weird hallucination happen? I couldn't agree more. I mean, the the running is just the best drugs I've ever done. Like the 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 lows are just extraordinary. The highs are crazy. Yeah, the like I kind of miss that actually. Like I, I've never actually tripped during an adventure race where I've only tripped during ultras. Um, I. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've told anybody this story before, but in Antarctica, when I was running that 100K, um, I I want to say like uh, like 80K in, I start hearing birds and I'm like, what is going on? There's no like we're, we're 500 miles from the South Pole. Uh, it's so far south. There's no there's no animals. There's no trees. There's no anything down there. And I'm like, there's definitely not birds around here. What's going on? And I'm running with this for like three or four miles. And I'm like, I, what is going on? Like, there's got to be birds around here, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the camp nearby or whatever. And I, I, I start to close the lap and I, I start to realize that it's not the bird. It's, uh, it's my windbreaker, uh, rubbing against it, or it's my, yeah, it's my wind, um, uh, my windbreaker basically rubbing against itself. Yeah. And it's creating this like squeaking noise that made it sound like birds. And I was like, all right, I was just, uh, I was going crazy there for like the last <laughs> four miles. And it's just, uh, my brain's too, tired to comprehend anything right now yes and you can just make stuff up I, I it's really funny is like ultras there's a there's a sense of it. it's like it's almost in a weird way it's like sensory deprivation mm-hmm. i think you become so tuned in on certain things that you're like it's it's like um there's a friend of mine oh actually one of the guys who's buried the treasure for us um mm. in a sensory deprivation experiment at the moment he's, he's locked up in some cave somewhere for like 10 days <laughs> he's, he's super hardcore so like be, like you do he'll be fine uh it's for some documentary and um they're just sort of like monitoring does he go crazy you know what are the things but like i know i know for a bunch of research i've done on sort of um like people who are like put in very isolated environments in the dark for extended periods of time um i think your brain just starts making stuff up um just because it's got kind of like nothing to kick off of so it's just kind of <laughs> guys well let's let's make up some voices and some vision yeah um, and I think, yeah, I think ultras are quite like that because you become so sort of like singularly focused, don't you? On your like your foot strike or the sound yep. of the wind. The wind. I think you're almost. Um, it's it's almost like your brain's inventing stuff to be interested in, <laughs> like your it's, like your birds. Yeah, the uh, that's a that's a great like segue because one of the first uh, you know from from your your races to your your gear and your company now because one of the first pieces that you guys came out with was I guess. I think you build it as a sensory deprivation tank, you know, hoodie type thing, right? So tell me a little bit about how you kind of went from this racing world to uh, Volaback as a company. And then we can talk about some of the cool stuff that you guys are actually building out there. Okay. So I guess one of the things that struck us when we started uh, racing ultras is, um, and at this point, we've got like quite a few like adventure buddies, like who did some pretty extreme stuff. So like, some of the top free divers in the world, some of the top kite surfers, base jumpers. And we, we got chatting to a whole bunch of these people. And I think what really struck us was that the, the challenges we were facing were really similar. 
even though our disciplines were very different. And mm. so we were chatting to a, a freediving friend of ours um, who yeah, he holds various world records. He's like, he can, do, he's one of uh, either the only person in the world or one of the few people who can swim down to a hundred meters just in a pair of speedos. And so like, we're talking like really, really like, you know, 17 world records. Good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were training for ultras at the time and we realized our training was quite similar in that there was a load of, there's a load of focus on, um, mental stuff. There's a load of focus on breathing, uh, almost, you know, attaining this kind of like meditative quality in order to get you through stuff. And a lot of these chats led us to thinking that the challenges were so similar and they weren't really being addressed by anybody. So it felt like this very siloed world of like, he's doing his shit over here. We're doing our stuff over here. And there's nothing kind of bringing this together. Um, and so we, we just thought, oh, well, let's do that. <laughs> so I guess, I guess the original thought is no more sophisticated than someone saying, do you want to go and run some ultra marathons? And us going, yeah, let's do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so it came out of a very similar philosophy of like, well, yeah, sure, let's have a go. Um, and at the time we were, so I spent like probably 15 years in advertising. And we, okay. were, um, we were, as I say, we we're working on Adidas. And so we were in lots of like meetings where you just see how a sports brand runs and, you know, what they're thinking about. And I didn't, I didn't see anything that we didn't kind of think, oh, we could probably have a crack at that. I mean, obviously you're not going to be a $20 billion brand overnight, but like inherently there wasn't anything going on where it's like, this is so sophisticated that we couldn't just have a try. Mm -hmm. So our, our angle was simply, well, let's just try stuff. No one else is trying. And one of the things that all of our friends were talking about is, can you sleep the night before the event? No. And we would chat it all through our friends, whatever sport they're doing. And they're all basically completely pumped the night before the event. <laughs> like you are, you know, when you're going through your race gear, it's like, I know I've got to get to sleep and now it's midnight and now it's 1am and, you know, have I got my strategy right? And it was just so universally kind of like acknowledged by all of these guys. Well, no, you just don't really sleep the night before because you're so pumped with you, you know, climbing the mountain the next day or jumping off something. And so we're like, well, let's just invent something for that. Let's just invent something. But like, even if you can't sleep, it's going to like, you know, it'll help you relax. It'll, you know, lower your pulse or, you know, it'll just chill you out basically. So we did a lot of research with a bunch of friends of ours who are scientists about how, you know, what can you do to basically help somebody relax if sleeping isn't necessarily an option. And where we got to, we just experimented with a bunch of stuff. And we looked at people who'd experimented with color, people who'd experimented with sound, people who'd experimented with body positions, and then basically hacked it all together <laughs> into a hoodie that basically zips up over your face. So you just experience less. Um, it comes with its own soundtrack, which is made out of, you know, pink noise, which is kind of like the really nice relation of what white noise is used in torture. And pink noise is basically about the wind going through the trees. And it's, you know, your, your brain can sort of you know, start sinking to this stuff. And then we looked at, you know, the various postures taken during meditation and how you should be breathing through your nose and into your stomach. And it basically just tried to create a piece of clothing that could make you behave in a certain way in order to help you chill out. And so it's very, very experimental and like totally acknowledged, like no one else had really tried this at the time. Um, and it was just an experiment. It's just like, if we do this, will it work? Like what, because the worst that can happen is, ah, oh, it doesn't work. And then everyone mm-hmm. back to square one. And so we never kind of like wanted to go out and say like, we have solved this grand problem. <laughs> we wanted to come out and say like, this is the problem everyone's facing, you know, here's our crack at it. And I, I guess what that led us to was like, well, this isn't this really interesting. And it led us into a whole series of challenges 
where like obviously our friends started chatting to us and it's like well have you thought about this have you thought about this you know like my if my clothing's falling apart you know uh, when i go skydiving i need something like this or you know mm-hmm. a, a guy uh, one of our mates was snow kiting in the arctic and his particular concern was like if i fall down a crevasse <laughs> at 60 miles an hour that's going to sting and i need to stay alive for a bit until a rescue team can come and get to me so it's like people's really really like incredibly specific briefs started coming into us plus you know the stuff we'd experienced as well and so what happened is we started on this one like this one like crazy idea of an experiment of you know can you help someone relax mm-hmm. uh, and then it just led to it let it just spiraled and basically led to a bunch more so there was no like there was no grand moment where it's like we're gonna create a brand that takes on the entire world it was more just a bunch of like kind of experimental thinking which I think is often where like really interesting creative ideas come from. Like you can, you can see companies that are driven by, you know, profit or by the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, we've got a brand that's going to take over the world. Uh, and ours really wasn't. Ours was just driven by a bunch of like really interesting ideas that we and our friends had had who were doing a bunch of adventure sports around the world. And that has, that has effectively spiraled into a business. But there was no like, there was no master plan at the start of we're going to create X, Y, and Z. Like when we created the pink hoodie, um, yep. we had no idea we were going to go on and create like all this other clothing. Like we, we knew we'd create some clothing, but we didn't know what it was going to be. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It kind of like one of the things I've always, um, I can't remember if it's, I think it's the Kenyans. And they have this, um, this particular phrase where it's called find your run. And so basically there's a bunch of guys who basically head out not knowing what run they're going to go on. And then they find the run while they're on it. They find, oh, it's going to be it's going to be flat out five miles or it's going to be a really steady 20 miles. And they let their body find it. And I guess we've kind of done that with the business where you kind of like you find your brand. You find, OK, this is what we're into, as opposed to some crazily architected thing from the start. No, that's really awesome. Uh, one of the things I, I think I saw the the pink hoodie come out early on, like maybe, maybe your first run that you guys did. And I, I ordered one and, um, it's partially helped me with races. Uh, but I also noticed it helped me, um, you know, when I was doing all the traveling to all the different races I was going to, like one of the big issues I had, um, I don't know if other athletes have told you this, but, um, you know, sleeping on, you know, trans, uh, Atlantic flights or, um, uh, just international flights in general is kind of a pain, especially if you're not um, up in business class. And so I think for a couple of them, or even in business classes, like you just like, I don't want to talk to people right now. Yeah. And so it was, it was a nice way to just like zip up and it literally zips up over your face. And uh, it's, it's a really non-subtle signal that you don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah, this, it, it, uh, it's really funny you say that. That is what it's used for. Because obviously so do people write to us say, hey, I use your kit for this. Like plane travel is the number one thing this is used for. Where it, basically you want to hang up a do not disturb sign because like people are always like waking you up and like would you like this food? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. no, I would just like to go to sleep. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, a ton of guys use it for that because as you can it up previously, I, I I made my own like hat, like hoodie, yeah. like yeah. sunglasses, like thing, like you know, kind of signal that hey, I really don't want to talk to anyone right now. And now it's just like zip, 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 and and I'm good to go. Yeah, because people don't know it. People are not going to tap you on the shoulder. You're going to be left alone. <laughs> it looks it looks a little bit like a, um, I was going to say a ninja outfit, but it's also similar to like a, almost, uh, if people haven't seen this, it, it, it's almost like a fencer's mask. 
like yeah. in, in a way where it, it literally just obscures your entire face and you can't see anything. And from the inside, you can see out a little bit, but from the outside, you, you definitely can't see in. Yeah, what we wanted to create, like we we're chatting to some psychologist friends about it, like what we wanted to create was the cave effect where like you're in a dark cave and you can see out, but no one can see in because mm. they're saying like psychologically, that's just a lot more comforting. Because if you if you zip something up over your face and you can't see a thing, I mean, you're just going to feel like wildly out of control because, you know, what the hell's going on? It's like it's going to be like closing your eyes on a crowded street. You're just not going to mm-hmm. do it. Um, whereas the, the whereas the feeling that knowing you can see out but people can't see in is actually really psychologically comforting, especially on a plane because you can flick your eyes open and you still just look just as crazy and menacing to the person. <laughs> the they have no idea you have your eyes open. <laughs> it, it feels a little bit like you're watching... Um like you're kind of going through life in VR. Yes. Uh, because you, you basically have this like goggle uh, face piece that you can kind of see out and you don't have the, you don't have the sensation of other people looking at you. Yes. It, 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 this was always the thing we wanted to get to. It's like, it reframes your view of the world because you just see less. I think one of the things that's like so interesting about like, you know, the environment we're living in today is really, that, that classic thing of, you know, how much information we consume, how many people we see each day. And it's just like, okay, if you could just see less of that, if you could just strip that out, like that was the kind of interesting thing about like creating a piece of clothing to solve that challenge as opposed mm. to an app or, you know, like, you know, Apple or Facebook making your tech less addictive. And it's just like, well, what if, what if a piece of clothing could solve that? And um, yeah, so I think stripping out the amount of stuff you're exposed to you know especially on a plane where you basically either just want to you know watch netflix on your ipad or go to- <laughs> like this is better <laughs> it's like this is a fun solution what uh so you started with the the baker miller pink hoodie which is basically a relaxation hoodie it's the one we've been talking about then you guys have come out with uh came out with the hundred year old hoodie you came out with the uh code black hoodie uh, uh a couple different things and 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 this year it seems like you've come out with a bunch of different things so can you kind of run down what your current line is and then um you know like we don't have to go into the the whole backstory of each of them but like how you came up with some of these crazy ideas because some of them are are a little bit crazy yes (laughs) i think deliberately um so yeah at the moment like if you if you're completely new to the brand the things that you should look at um the so the most high-tech thing we have is our solar charge jacket which is basically an incredibly light running jacket um that effectively can be charged with any light from the sun to your torch to glow green like kryptonite through the night. And the brighter you charge it with, the brighter the thing you charge it with, whether it's a sun or a flashlight, the longer and the brighter it will glow when it's dark. So it's kind of like you can you can literally draw on your jacket with light. You can grab a torch or, you know, the phone, you know, your, your torch on your phone and write on this jacket like you would with pen on paper. And it just leaves a trail of light. So that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Um, and we, we, the reason we did that was because like so many of our friends were going off on adventures where they're like, okay, I'm not going to have any power, but I do need to be seen or I need, you know, I need to have some kind of light source and I'm not, I need to not be draining batteries or I need to not be taking power packs with me or I just need, it's just this 12 hour race, but it's through the night. How can I be seen? So that's where that, that's where that one came from. So that's the solar charge jacket. Um, one of my other favorites is, um, called the planet earth shirt, which, and we designed this, um, we basically wanted to design a shirt that you could take anywhere on earth from the Savannah to the Arctic to, 
uh, a mangrove swamp or the office and like can you make one shirt because like it really struck us as really curious that like you've got shirts for the deserts you've got shirts for the it's like well can't you just do one that solves them all and so we came up with this crazy new material like kind of mad new designs it's got all these features on it like anti-mosquito collars and it's got um air conditioning built into it and it's completely crazy and we built that one um from the ground up with one of our special forces friends so that's very nice um we have an entire range which has like got ceramic print on it this is called condition black and so basically ceramic is used in everything from you know um uh, jet engines to missile nose cones it's a super super tough material um and we've got incredibly delicate 3d printed slices covering our covering clothing so it basically makes it highly abrasion resistant so we've got like a whole layering system made out of that stuff that's cool um we've got a hundred year hoodie made entirely out of kevlar um so you basically can't set fire to it which is, which is quite funny and you can't destroy it so we made a whole video about us literally trying to destroy it over a period of 24 hours and failing that's that, that's seriously cool um we've got a bunch of we've got another it's out, it's been out of stock i mean it sold out very quickly like quite a lot of our stuff does but we had we made this jacket called the blue morpho jacket and we basically looked at what's the most visible creature on earth and it's called the blue morpho butterfly and there's things about like it can grow up to 15 20 centimeters big and you'll find it in, like jungles of south america and you, pilots flying over the jungle can see them they're that visible mm. basically wow. what they have is they've got like this um the the structure on their wings is basically looks like it is this it's this three-dimensional structure that basically just like pings blue light back off it and we're like oh, what if you could make like the most visible jacket on earth could you could we recreate the blue morpho butterfly and so we basically used just millions and millions i think, actually know geez i think it's two billion glass particles in the end of uh, covering the surface of this jacket that would give off exactly the same blue as this blue morpho butterfly so basically when light, this is what the butterfly relies on, when light hits it, it's basically bounced back at the person seeing it. And um, that's what the jacket does as well. Um, wow. But yeah, we make, we, we make fairly interesting gear. <laughs> um, and our, our aim all the time is basically make something that's never been made before. That's always like, this, uh, uh, but, but not for the sake of like, you know, you could make something stupid that's never been made before, but, you know, make something that solves a problem that no one's really ever tried to address. Like, like we're not stupid like people have made shirts before but then the idea of like okay well we're just going to make the best one ever made and like every detail on it's crazy like the uh we, we like like sometimes we kind of like write essays on our gear just to explain how we've made it like there's a very very long piece on how we made the planet earth shirt because there's just so much detail that's gone into it like it's you can't really you can't rip any of the buttons off like it's a really stupid point like, like our mate who goes for a mangrove swamp goes the first thing that's going to happen is buttons are going to ping off this thing and so ours are like they're, they're they're not even sewn on. They're basically attached to this military military tape, and then the whole thing has got like sixty two meters of stitching on it, so that nothing can ping off. All the buttons can slide up and down this tape two centimeters. They're hidden behind another like placket. So like there's just we just kind of go to the nth degree detail of like okay, how can I make this thing the most amazing? So I guess we're quite different from like how other sports brands work, and we sort of, sort of have some, like experience of this and. A lot, of, a lot of sports brands do this thing called de-specking, which is basically they get to the final design and then basically they'll, the accountant will go through it and go, well, let's get rid of some of the pockets because they're expensive. Can we change this material because this is too expensive? Like basically we do the opposite of that. <laughs> We're like kids in a sweet shop and we go, okay, I really like it. It's looking like a Ferrari. What else can we do? <laughs> yeah. and, um, 
I, so I how guess did, how did where where did the apparel background come in? Because you you mentioned you were in advertising for a while and you're working with Adidas and a few other companies, but like, did you just watch what they did then and then reverse engineer it, or were you did you have any other background in like creating apparel before uh, um, before just jumping into this? Um, so my brother's a designer, so he he was an architect and he's been a designer his whole life. So we've always been in and around design, um, and then. Well, honestly, here's where the story came from. So we were one of the brands we were racing for, and this wasn't like like professional sponsorship or anything. We just got some clothes from them. Um, and we were running across a desert. And um, what was really funny is the shoes this brand had given us to run across the Namibian desert were the same shoes that they'd given to this really famous climber um, to go and climb in Baffin Island, just to, just to like, you know, piss about on the ice and whatever, not to actually climb the climbs, but to like, you bomb around in. And um, I just remember thinking, this is this is really backward. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how can we possibly be having the same kit? And I'm not, I'm not stupid. They obviously they wanted to sell these shoes or whatever. Um, but I remember thinking, there just isn't as much thought going into some of these things as you think there is. And quite often, the thought that might be going in is like, red sells. So let's make a new red jacket. Or, you know, we can increase the profit margin on this thing. And I think... We look at a lot of brands. There are there are a lot of very very into brands. Don't get me wrong, but I think we we overcredit them with innovating sometimes. Mm. And I think what we wanted to do is come in with a completely like fresh slate and go, okay, is this actually as innovative as people think? Is the stuff to be done that just people haven't tried before? And that that's become our niche. Really, that's what we go for. Um, so no, we never designed any clothing, and I think that's really helpful. Hmm. What we have done is designed a bunch of ideas. We kind of like created a bunch of experiences. So we created experiences. My brother had been a designer. We brought cool people in. Um, but I think that was actually really beneficial. I think like any industry, sometimes it benefits from someone coming in from completely from the outside going, okay, is everything done well here? Or actually our corners cut are the wrong things being prioritized. And we felt in quite a lot of instances they were. And so the easiest thing was just to come and do it ourselves. Yeah. The, uh, the, some of the, the concepts you guys come up with seem like they were hatched, uh, in the midst of a ultra marathon hallucination where you're like, you know what, we should get this, we should get this jacket that glows blue. And, uh, <laughs> and they end up looking awesome. Like if you guys go check out Volaback, like you gotta be careful because one gear is kind of expensive, but then two, you also want to buy everything. Um, you're like, yeah, I want that. And I want that. And I want that. And, uh, uh, <laughs> you gotta be careful. Um, so one of the things that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned your brother's got the background in design and you got the background in advertising. You guys just launched this campaign, um, maybe two weeks ago or something like that. And you've completely, uh, nuked any productivity that I've tried to have over here. Um, oh, sorry. it's a, it's a treasure hunt for basically, you can explain it better than I can, but a treasure hunt for like unlimited free volleyback gear or not, maybe not unlimited. I don't want to put the words in your mouth, but free volleyback gear for life. Uh, can you explain what this is? And uh, then I can kind of explain why I've been uh, <laughs> spending every free waking moment uh, trying to put together the clues. And how we killed your productivity. Uh, yes. Yeah, so basically um, we made a piece of treasure. So it's like a carving about the size of your wallet made out of this very particular type of wood. So it's really impossible to replicate. And then we've buried it somewhere on earth. And we had it buried by two of our friends who are 
former ex-British special forces, as tough as it gets. They are world record record holding adventurers. Like these guys are just crazy, crazy hardcore. Um, we had them bury it in an undisclosed location. And then basically we've only left people one clue, which is a five minute film made by the Oscar winning document documentary maker Orlando von Einsiedel, who's a friend of ours. And we had him shoot it. And that's it. Basically, if you go to our website, you can watch the film. You can try and work out where the treasure is. But I think what we really like about this idea um, is like, even if you can figure it out, getting it is, uh, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so, so hard. Um, and basically, yeah, the, the prize, basically, whoever goes and finds this card and, you know, proves that they have found it as opposed to just going, yeah, I've got it. Um, we'll, we'll give them free clothing for life. Because uh, I think we wanted to just do something that was just, nuts like we were really conscious that like i think a, a bunch of friends of ours have like you know rode the atlantic and the pacific and they always say this thing which is like there are no countries to find anymore mm. like no blank bits left on the map it's done like the mountains are climbed the oceans are rode and it's like what 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 craziness is out there and i think what you what you're left with is a bunch of adventurers um quite rightly putting their own spin on stuff and there's, you know, there's people doing absolutely miraculous things don't get me wrong but it's like okay if we could just add 1% of madness to the world and we go okay there's this bit of treasure buried here and you have to be so smart to work out where it is and and so hardcore to actually go and get it um it was just our effort to make the world 1% you know more fun and so that, that's the idea oh and in the film are some clues and that's what's driving you crazy. <laughs> I, I literally, I, uh, I started a couple um, uh, discussions with a couple friends, uh, and um, there's a couple things in the video that make it seem like it's really apparent on where it is. But then it's like, no, that's way too easy. Uh, you, I've gone through the the video like frame by frame, and there's like interesting things, um, you know, put throughout the. I, I think I was sending you an email, Mike. Is this is this thing a clue? And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Joel. Like, that's not even. <laughs> I'm starting to look for clues in places that they're like they're not actually clues. I'm just you know hallucinating you know my own interpretations of what they are. Uh, you are right though. So there's so I uh, and obviously people are letting us know their progress um, because obviously it's, it's fun. Um, there, no one has yet to find all the clues. That's and that's what's really interesting. Interesting. So you're you're not on the wrong track. So I remember you emailed me and you're like, "Is this is this an eclipse?" <laughs> like, yeah. It's like what, what eclipse? <laughs> there isn't an eclipse. <laughs> well, there's one. There's one part where, like, if you speed up the video, it actually looks like uh like uh, an eclipse is happening in the video. And uh, I was like, I wonder if they're trying to tell us that you need to look for when the most recent eclipse was, and then look at when you know, like where in the world that was happening. And I was trying to like reverse engineer all this stuff. And you're like, no, that's not a thing. You're, uh, I think you're looking too hard at this point. So yeah, that, that's not, that's not even me bluffing you. That was just like, that was just me <laughs> taking pity on you possibly having gone crazy. <laughs> but I, I loved, uh, you know, I've, I've been st still looking over this stuff and, uh, I, this campaign is, um, if you guys haven't checked it out, it's what's, what's the URL they can check it out at. It's Valback com slash uh, yeah, they just go to a website yeah. and then um i'll oh, just get me let me get it up like treasure hunt <laughs> yeah treasure hunt that kind of thing <laughs> i should be so much more disciplined on this kind of stuff i'm just trying to get our site up okay okay so there's there's like three bits of navigation on our website and it's under news and features oh that's it so, we, so it's called extreme discount card you should be able to okay. find it pretty easy so follow back extreme discount card and you'll find it but um and yeah, you'll see like yeah we've, we've got the films there 
um, like the the kind of stupid terms and conditions, <laughs> what you win all up. And I think what's really interesting is like um, like water's obviously involved in this one, and you you might you might the ability to dive might be essential. We'll see. Mm. Um, but yeah, like we're already planning the next one because like the the reaction has been so insane. Like I we, like we didn't you you never know when you put these things out into the world. Like we think it's fun. Like, how are people going to interpret it? You know, are they going to be into it? Like, dudes were getting on planes that night. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we, we, we said, we said like, you know, like, you never know. Like, we, we're not Adidas. We're not Nike. You know, not that many people know us. Um, you know, maybe there'll be one lone maverick dude in two years' time goes, I'm going to have a crack at this. Yeah. Um, it was like, it was literally who could get the first ticket to the place everyone's flying to. Yep. Um, it's, it was crazy to see, and that's kind of that's just a lot of fun because then you go, okay, um, like you could make you could make like you know loads of brands make these manifesto films of like we're here to do this, yeah. and you know whether you're a car company or Apple, like everyone makes them. It's like, well, uh, we just thought, well, wouldn't it be more fun to like actually create something where people go and have more adventures because you've done this thing, and I think that's what's really interesting to us. Like you you can actually sort of like, uh, yeah, basically people have a cool time because you've done something as opposed to saying you know we're here for cool times yeah. <laughs> it's like no go look for treasure it's really good fun it's like i don't know about you but like when i was 10 years old i always thought i'm gonna go and look for treasure at some point in my life and it's like well there isn't a whole lot to go look for and so yeah putting putting one out there felt like the right thing to do after having made so much crazy clothing it's like all right what's the next level now I like- and making Seemed it. I like the uh, the one percent adding one percent of madness or whatever that phrase that you added um, a few minutes ago. But the idea of just like creating creating an excuse for people to go out and adventure around and you know use the gear, but like also just embody everything that you guys are talking about. Um, it's fun. It's it, it it fires up your imagination and makes you start like thinking about. All right, maybe maybe I should just get on a flight to that place where everybody thinks it is, and you know go go find out for myself. Um, I think one of the funny things is like the um, the guys who buried it, um, Jason Fox and Aldo Kane. So the, these are yeah, super hardcore dudes, like I say. So they were the guys who found Captain Kidd's treasure um, off the coast of Madagascar, and they found it three hundred and twenty years after it had been buried. And so, like when they told us that, it's like, oh, guys, you you, you have to be the guys who go and bury this. Because <laughs> I think that's what's so funny. Because like the time scales of marketing are normally like, you know, buy this buy this packet of chocolate and you'll win X tomorrow. And it's like, no, we've buried treasure, and it, it may be found in a week's time. It may be found in a year's time. It may be found in a decade's time. And I think I think just playing with those time scales felt really interesting. Because I think so much of marketing these days is like, you know, you know do this do this really easy thing and you'll win this crazy thing. And it's like, well, no, maybe you won't. Yeah. Send it, send <laughs> it a UPC code and, uh, uh, yeah. 20 of them. And, uh, we'll, we'll send you a free, uh, uh, pen. Uh, and, and yeah, here it's like, well, maybe you won't, maybe you'll, you know, you'll risk your life, for, you know, for two, three days and you'll get nothing, yeah. but you will, because you'll have an adventure and you'll have been to look for treasure. So, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a different approach, but like it's what we wanted to take, and it kind of fits with the clothes we make because it's yeah. And when, it's a bit when you when you launched it, I think it was right around the same time that there was this. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, and there was a old Spanish ship that was found, like another treasure that was just found, like right around the same time, and people were like, "Is that the treasure you're looking for?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, this one's better. It's free clothing." <laughs> I know that's seven billion dollars, but let's listen. This is this is the one I'm going for. 
we were trying to work out what the value would be and like uh, mass isn't my strong point so we've not quite figured it out but we're launching clothes at a fairly fast rate so like you add it up over the next like 10 15 years it's gonna be quite a lot <laughs> so what is can you can you share any of the things that are coming up for you guys as far as like new pieces of clothing or you mentioned you might be doing another uh treasure hunt here soon um can you talk about any of that or is that all confidential um, so we're definitely going to be doing another treasure hunt. Um, what's really interesting though, is like, and, uh, we've, we've not picked the team to bury it. We've not picked where it's going to be. We've not picked like a director for it or anything yet. So I think that's kind of like, that's kind of like a, the, one of the most fun projects we do where you just go, oh, this is just, whatever we do, it's just going to be awesome. So we're literally thinking of like what, what happened when people started, you know, flying straight out to this one. Um, it's like, oh, wow, is this going to, like, we, we thought this is, like, so hard. Is this going to actually be found in, like, 24 hours? And um, so we just started plotting of, like, okay, how can we make the next one just literally impossible? <laughs> like, where, where can you put it on Earth? Because it's been really funny watching, like, some of the people go, like, oh, this is so obvious where it is. And it's like, well, it's obvious if you know where it is, but actually, you know, is it there? Um, and, and, and also, I think in the era of, like, you know, this so much of the world's been mapped and shown like i was trying to think okay where's the most remote place on earth so the next one we're thinking like doing the mountains basically and we've already carved the card and it's got mountains on it and we were just thinking like is there a mountain range on earth where like just no one's going to know where that is it's like well no and it's so and what's really funny is the the earth is really well known and um so if you have any cool ideas of like mountains to go stick this thing on uh-huh. <laughs> like what constitutes a mountain like what what is what is you know where could we put this that's just like so, so remote, the furthest away? Like you start plotting like what's the furthest place away from any airport on mm-hmm. Earth? You know, that's it's like it's just really, really hard to get to. Um, so that's definitely going to be fun. Clothing-wise, uh, yeah, we've got some absolutely mad stuff coming up. <laughs> like I think the things we get excited about is like, oh, like I think one of the things that's really interesting for us is like materials that have never been used before. Mm. Um, one of the reasons certain materials are never used before is because they're just so expensive. Mm. Uh, like the, the, the stuff we, the stuff we use is just crazy. Like you might have like MIT projects using it, but like typically commercial brand won't use it because like, you know, on a very, on a very blunt level, the margin will then be rubbish. And like, so some accountant will come along and go, well, we can't sell this. <laughs> like we're like, mm-hmm. well, is it a good idea? Like we'll do it then. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a totally different approach. So, um, uh, yeah, I can't go into what it is, but yeah, there's something launching this summer out of a material that is like absolutely mind blowing. Where you just go, like, I, I can't. Well, no, no one's been able to use it before. We're the first people to do it. So, um, stuff coming up. Like you that. guys are almost launching stuff too quickly because I'm like, oh, that new thing looks cool, but I know they're coming out with a new thing in like a month. So uh, maybe I should wait and and get that thing instead. And uh, I gotta I gotta see what the whole line is before I, I make a decision here because. <laughs> or well, it's funny. Just, we don't think like- well, one of the things we looked at that we saw brands doing was like seasonal launches. Mm. And this is the thing where you come in from the outside and you go, does that make any sense? And it's like, okay, so every brand launches like a whole bunch of stuff in, let's say, September, and that's for winter, and then a whole bunch of stuff in March, and that's for summer. And it's like, but like all, all the guys we talk to are like traveling around the world constantly, and they're like racing whole different environments. And it's like, you know, it might be winter, but they're, you know, off racing in, you know, Hawaii or Asia or wherever. And so like one of the things we looked at from the outside and just went, well, that's completely insane is this idea that like you launch a whole bunch of clothing in September and it's just cold gear. And then you're a whole bunch of clothing in March and it's just warm gear. It's like, well, you know, the the earth doesn't really work like that. And it doesn't really work like that. And then it leads to this crazy position that they get themselves into where it's like, 
this red jacket is worth exactly $500 until January the 1st when it's worth $300. <laughs> it's like, and so you just come in from the outside and you go, well, I, I think people are doing a whole lot of stuff that doesn't really make sense. Mm. And so one of the things we got excited about is this idea that like, we're just constantly innovating. And the slow. so what we do basically is we're just constantly coming up with stuff. And then loads of our projects take like, you know, 18 months, two years to get ready minimum because they're pretty complex stuff with pretty crazy materials. And when they're ready, we launch them. That, that's all we do. It was like, there's no, like, there's no like crazy science to it. There's just like, you know, when they're ready, they come out. And because we're constantly starting stuff, we're constantly launching stuff. Um, and then the thing you have to work out is like a lot of our stuff sells out really fast. And then you go, well, do we bring it back? Or like, I'm actually so excited by this new thing. I just want to bring that out instead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you do, you do start to have to make business decisions of like, you know, do I, do I repeat, do I, do we repeat ourselves basically? And in, in some stuff like where we thought we weren't going to, like something is just so popular. Like people are writing to us saying like, please, you have to make this again. <laughs> it's like, okay, we'll make it again. Like a couple more times maybe. And then that's it. Um, I, I think I, we like the creative angle of like, you, you don't want to be repeating yourselves too much. You just want to be making stuff that's kind of like new and awesome all the time. Cause then, then it's really interesting. Then it's like sport as opposed to a business, which I like sport more than business. Yeah, That's awesome. Do you have any other uh, like sports or uh, adventures yourself coming up that you're excited about? Oh, geez. I mean, I have a, I have a four-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy okay. and a start. So, uh, <laughs> like my wife, my wife was saying, why don't you tell Joel how you're allowed to ride for 90 minutes every day? <laughs> and I've got like this window where I go, okay, this is sport. I have to do this sport or otherwise I'll go quite insane. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, we're quite into like self-directed stuff at the moment. So like stuff that isn't, um, like isn't, uh, a race okay. and isn't all organized in any way. So one of my favorite things at the moment is paddleboarding mm -hmm. and just, going and you know trying to go for as long as possible as hard as possible until the sea gets too rough but you know, i say i say that i mean that, that that's not in any way extreme i mean there's dudes paddleboarding the atlantic like that's hardcore <laughs> 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 um so at the, at the moment nothing i i'm quite interested in kind of inventing some kind of race format have you have have you ever seen um red bull x alps uh yes i have so yes. it's the it's the ultra running and paragliding Yes, I, I, I'm terribly, I, I don't know how to paraglide, but, uh, terribly interested in that. And then, uh, like other stuff like that is like really interesting to me because the, the running is something where if you can get to a place, you can get to places in the world that you can't get any other way besides running. Like there's some mountains that you can get up in, uh, you know, a short amount of time that you can't do any other way. And then the idea of, um, just like paragliding or, or doing some other sport and then running again and then like combining those in a way is like really, really interesting to me. And uh, that's kind of been on my radar, but I'd have to figure, I have to gain a couple extra skills before uh, I jump into that one. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at at the moment. I kind of like, I haven't seen anything recently where I've gone, okay, I have to go and do that. Uh, which is which kind of always, lead, I kind of like with clothing, it kind of leads me to think, okay, well, we'll have to do that then. <laughs> um where we have to invent something but yeah maybe i'm not looking hard enough yeah running running and paragliding sounds like a pretty dangerous mix like i can imagine you're paragliding and your hamstring goes into crap <laughs> from having run <laughs> like, that wouldn't be much fun i don't reckon <laughs> that's awesome cool so um any other things uh before we wrap up here uh where can people find uh volaback it's volaback.com uh yes and that's it we only sell on our own site because 
that's what that's how we want to do it because then like you you find out about it from us i think one of the thing one of the reasons we've done that is because like one of the things i felt is people don't really explain why they've made what they've made um sometimes they don't explain it because there's not a whole lot to say or because they've had to make a whole bunch of compromises but we we haven't we've we've literally just trying to make the best kit on earth and so like yeah we just wanted it on our own website so you read about it from us like i i don't reckon you know so we're just not we not, don't sell it in shops or anything like that so yeah we're on volaback.com um we don't have like a ton of kit yet because we're only we're only two years in so even though we launch stuff every month or so um i'd say we probably have like 30 40 pieces but it's all kind of like as you say it's pretty crazy <laughs> that's awesome and then twitter um, twitter facebook volleback v-o-l-l-e-b-a-k for people who are uh if it it's yeah it's, it's not it's not really straightforward on how you would spell that if you're just hearing it over the podcast no i mean i do i do think like picking again you might go for a different name <laughs> one that's short and has you know, you know not a k in it what, is, what does back um, mean by the way um it means all out Ooh. as in go foot to the floor is that what uh, language so, uh um well people argue over it but um certainly where we took it from was a a, a dialect of uh a part of flemish basically um, so from ages ago but we, we found the word and we loved it because of the spirit it represented it's like oh that's what we're doing like <laughs> like that's that's like you know all the guys we're chatting to like that's how they do sport and it's like oh to find that in a word felt really really cool um and then you have to do the normal thing if you know does anyone have that.com <laughs> um instagram with volaback sports because i don't think we're fast enough to get volaback and i think some has it so you if you go to his website i think it's like 12 pictures of him (laughs) (laughs) everywhere everywhere else we're we're fairly findable okay very cool well uh let's uh i'm excited to see what you guys come out with this summer i'll be uh, i'll be paying attention thanks for jumping on the podcast uh maybe we'll do a a race around here uh around the world one of these days and uh Maybe I'll, I'll finally put all the clues together and figure out where that treasure is. <laughs> I raced around the world. Good. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, let's, uh, let's do it again. If uh, you guys have new stuff coming out, give me a shout and um, I, will, uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Cheers, man. Lovely chatting to you. Hey, everybody. That's today's show. If you guys want to check out more about Volaback and their treasure hunt, check it out at volaback.com. They're an awesome company. I'm really excited to uh, know those guys and uh, we'll be following up on what they're doing here in the future. Just a couple of reminders before I sign off. If you guys enjoyed that show, I'd love if you went over to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to podcasts these days and leave a rating or review. It helps us out a ton, helps us reach more people, and helps more people find out about doing the impossible, pushing their limits, and getting outside their comfort zone. All right? If you guys want to support the show in other ways, you can check out impossiblegear.com, grab your impossible shirt, go do something impossible on your impossible list. If you guys don't know what an impossible list is or haven't made one yet, you can go check out impossiblelist.com, get a free template, create your impossible list and start changing your life today. Get an impossible shirt, go do something on your impossible list, push your limits, take a photo, send it in, and I'll feature you guys on the site, on Instagram, all over the place, okay? Also check out movilapp.com. It's the best mobility app out there, whether you're trying to run an ultra marathon, set a new PR lifting, or you're going out on a treasure hunt and don't want to get hurt. Check it out. It's a free download and you can help support the show in a pretty simple way while also making sure you're taking care of your body. 
All right, that's it for today's show. I will see you guys back here next week. And until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible. Thank you.